X Talks connects professionals in the life science, medical device, and food industries with useful content like webinars, job openings, articles, and virtual meetings to help you succeed in your career. This food industry-focused podcast brings together some of our editorial staff to share insights into the latest B2B industry news to help keep you up to date. This week on the show, we're discussing how companies can protect against a food cyber attack and why the UK is facing a tomato shortage. Enjoy the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the 100th episode of the X Talks Food Podcast. Woo! We've reached 100 episodes. Very, very exciting. I, as always, I'm Sydney Perlmutter, Senior Food Industry Journalist and Webinar Moderator at xtalks.com. And this week, I'm joined by Vera Kovacevic and Sarah Hand. Thank you for coming today to our 100th episodes. What we're going to do real quick first is we're going to start off by just going around and talking about our favorite episodes thus far. Um, so for me, it'll be a more recent one, which was the three food and beverage industry trends for 2023. And I think why this one was my favorite is just because we spoke to two really you know, interesting food industry experts, and they told us a lot about um, you know, what they saw over the last year. Um, and what they predicted for for this coming year. Um, And I think why I really liked it as well is because um, we've been doing this podcast for so long and and it really showed a lot of the progress uh, over the last few years. Um, And as always, it's just great to hear from from experts. So yeah, I I predict that these, uh, you know, these food industry trend uh, podcasts will continue being my favorites just because there's so so much ground to cover um, and I love talking to people. So um, Sarah, how about you tell me about yours? Yeah, thanks, Sydney. And um, yeah, congratulations to us all, I guess, for reaching 100 episodes. Uh, Of course, thanks to our our listeners as well. Um, I am going to really go back to our second podcast episode. So that was from March of, uh, of 2021, so two years ago. Um, and in this episode, we talked about um, slate chocolate milk, which uh, just was really interesting to me because it was basically chocolate milk for, for grownups, chocolate milk for adults. Um, and so what they did is they, uh, they took chocolate milk and kind of made a, a healthier for you version, definitely some something we talk about a lot on this podcast. So they made it, uh, you know, fewer calories, um, less sugar, and more more protein. And they also made like uh, dark chocolate milk and espresso chocolate milk. Uh, I just thought that was, you know, a really interesting concept. And a lot of the the branding, their packaging is very much like, you know, this is for grownups. Uh, so I thought that was super interesting. And we'll be linking all of these episodes in our show notes if uh, any of our listeners want to check them out. The other thing we talked about in this podcast, uh, you know, a real 180 uh, was Aunt Jemima rebranding to Pearl Milling Company. So, you know, that was two years ago now. Uh, I think we all said at the time felt kind of overdue. Um, to to do this rebrand and uh, but certainly you know good they were finally doing it uncle ben was kind of another one that they were they were changing as well um yeah so it was a cool episode only our second one uh so i'm sure you know we all sound a little bit different (laughs) two years two years on but uh would definitely recommend people go back and listen to that one vera what about you what's your favorite 
Well, I really, I have many favorites. Like Sydney always brings these like new and interesting topics. Um, but I would say the one that was really memorable to me was episode 73. And we released that on August 18th of last year, 2022. And during that episode, Sydney talked about what we should know about food clinical trials. And I feel like so many people know about, you know, the pharma or medical device clinical trials, but I feel like not many people are aware that food clinical trials even exist. So she explained like what they are um, and like why they could be useful for the food industry. So for example, Sydney discussed how um, they're very beneficial to evaluate specific marketing claims. Um, that need like some scientific evidence, right? So if someone says, for example, oh, this food product um, is going to be like XYZ better for your health, like it's good if they actually have a food clinical trial that backs up that claim. Um, otherwise, like the claims would be, you know, without evidence, right? And that's a big problem in the food industry. So yeah, food clinical trials, really interesting. Um, and after that, the team also talked about how, like, there's so much we don't understand about nutrition and, like, perhaps food clinical trials can, like, improve our understanding. And then the other thing Sydney talked about um, in that episode was about, like, food packaging. So specifically, she talked about um, a type of cheese called... Is baby bell baby bell okay so yeah baby bell cheese um and other food products like why they're wrapped in wax and um something that i still remember is like sydney told me how some apples in the grocery store also have like a thin coating of wax and i didn't even know that so really interesting <laughs> wash your fruit ladies and gentlemen <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so yeah that was my favorite Thank you for sharing your favorites. And, and like Sarah said, we'll be linking uh, those episodes in our notes. So feel free to give all those a listen. So for today's show, though, I'll jump right in and I'll talk about the latest shortage um, that the UK is facing, and that would be tomatoes. So last year we saw, you know, a lot of food shortages. We had a turkey shortage, the, the beverage Topo Chico, coffee, baby formula, um, even lettuce as well. Um, and, you know, now we're only starting to see them sort of be replenished. Um, but unfortunately, the new year has brought with it a new set of supply chain challenges, including this most recent tomato shortage in the UK. And of course, as with any food shortages, the rare supply that does remain on grocery shelves has shot up in price. So according to the UK Office for National Statistics, tomato prices reached 296 uh, per kilogram, 296 pounds, um, which in US dollars is around 353 in January 2020. In January 2023, up 22.3% since the same time last year. And as a result, pictures have been circulating of empty produce shelves and food service businesses have had to settle uh, for reduced deliveries as wholesalers try to spread out the limited supply. So for some restaurants, this has meant tomato-less pizzas and salads, and some grocery stores have introduced a temporary limit for purchases of tomatoes. So since no food shortage occurs at random, here are some of the causes for the UK's tomato shortage. Now, the main one to, uh, you know, no one's surprise, it would be weather. So in Morocco, which is one of the UK's leading tomato producers, growers and suppliers have had to contend with cold temperatures, a lack of sunlight, heavy rain, flooding, and canceled ferries over the past month, all of which have seriously affected the volume of tomatoes 
that reached the UK. And according to two Moroccan associations of vegetable producers, exporters, and packers, the growing season in Morocco has been marked by a long period of cold, which was followed by abnormally high temperatures. And as a consequence, the daily tomato harvest dropped sharply, resulting in shortening the supply capacity of packing stations and provisions of the local Moroccan market, as well as markets abroad. Now, tomato supply from the UK's other major exporter, Spain, has also been affected by fluctuating unpredictable weather. Tomato volumes from Almeria, Spain, were down 22% in February 2023 compared to the same time last year. The UK is particularly reliant on both Spain and Morocco, which earlier last month barred exports of tomatoes, onions, and potatoes to West African countries to reduce domestic prices and protect exports to Europe. So essentially poor weather. And now the second reason it would be high energy costs. So the tomato shortage is also exacerbated by less winter production in greenhouses in the UK and elsewhere due to high energy costs. And many growers didn't even, you know, start crops in the fall due to rising electricity costs that made it commercially unviable. And both Lee Valley Growers Association and Flynn's Tomatoes, two of the top tomato producers in Britain and Ireland respectively, delayed planting crops this year because they couldn't afford to heat their green houses. Energy intensive industries like tomato production have seen their energy costs soar over the past year after the Russian invasion of Ukraine sparked a rally in energy commodities and power prices. But despite some government support, high energy costs could continue to threaten UK tomato producers. So these are the two main reasons, um, you know, that take the brunt of the blame for the tomato shortage. But there are other factors, including fluctuating labor costs and shortages, British supermarkets habitually underpaying their suppliers and anecdotally Brexit and just all the, um, you know, all, all that caused in terms of um, exporting and, and not being a part of uh, Europe anymore. However, there are reasons to be optimistic, though. The British Retail Consortium said that it predicts the tomato shortage will only last a few weeks until the UK growing season begins and supermarkets find alternative sources of supply, according to the BBC. So as I was writing this, I mean, we, we've talked about other shortages on the show recently, um, you know, an egg shortage as well, which which um, was was really, really big and still sort of continues to be an issue. But it, it really just made me think about how, um, you know, we're as consumers, just the we're just seeing the end of the supply chain. And there are so, so, so many factors that go into, um, you know, foods getting from from point A to B to C to D to, you know, in our homes, in our stomachs, like there's so many different factors and and as normal consumers we don't really think about them and i know we talked about this on the the egg shortage podcast but um i like to know why you know why there is a shortage like the reason really helps you to sort of like wrap your head around it and not just blame it on inflation right so um yeah i want to know what you guys think of about this shortage and like if you saw for example if you go to the the store looking specifically for tomatoes and you didn't see them like as a consumer what would your reaction be and what do you think like people's reactions are when when they see a shortage or notice that there's like an ongoing shortage going on yeah tomatoes um technically they're a fruit right but we mm. think of them as a vegetable but like right yeah i've i've always seen them in abundance in grocery stores and it's such a commonly used like food item mm -hmm. that i can't even imagine it being in shortage um so yeah i think like as canadians and and probably you know in the uk too we're very lucky that like in the middle of the winter we can eat 
exotic fruits and vegetables that were imported from all over the world, like, right? That's right. Like, I think yeah. my parents growing up didn't have that luxury. Like, they, they didn't have avocados around in Eastern Europe, you know, like 30 mm. years ago. Um, so, yeah, it's just amazing how today, like, our food supply is just so connected globally. Um, but, yeah, I am, I am really surprised at the shortage of tomatoes. Um, in the UK because like yeah it's so commonly used in like different foods and yeah it's unfortunate that there's like bad weather conditions in North Africa that's primarily the reason Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. and there's yeah there's sorry go ahead Sarah yeah I was just gonna say it's such a good point that we have like a very I guess myopic focus on you know the the end obviously we're we're the the end stage consumers of of foods and so I guess to address your question, if I walked into the grocery store and saw there were no tomatoes available, I I don't think I would make the leap that there was a shortage in general. You know what I mean? I and I and I also think that in the past few years we've all grown so grown so accustomed to um, not always being able to get everything that we need at the grocery store. So really starting at the beginning of the pandemic when things were selling out either because people were stockpiling or there were supply chain interruptions. I don't think anything's ever gotten back to, you know, pre-pandemic levels of, uh, of the way things were going with, you know, logistics and supply chain. Um, particularly for grocery stores. And so I I think it feels like, from a consumer perspective at least, um, you know, seeing no tomatoes on a shelf, you might just think, oh, there's some issue there. I, I don't know that I would be, if if I didn't work with you, Sydney, and, and we, didn't, uh, we didn't work sort of within the food industry in the way that we do, I don't know that I would dig any deeper. I don't know that I would know that it was, you know, a countrywide thing or a region-wide thing. I might just assume, um, oh, my grocery store just like didn't get their shimpit for whatever reason. Uh, yeah, so I think that's like a, a really interesting thing we've talked about in the last couple of podcasts. As you said, we've talked about other shortages, you know, the egg shortage and, and stuff. And um, this idea that I think the majority of consumers would not know why that particular product, you know, wasn't available. And so I wonder if that that begs the question, you know, should we be doing something else to, to educate people? I know there are stories out there. Certainly we're producing those stories. Um, or... Do you think consumers will just say, well, I'm just not getting gross. Uh, I'm just not getting uh, tomatoes for my grocery shop this week. I don't know. Yeah, I, I, I really don't know because we're, we're so not used to, um, you know, going into a grocery store and, and not seeing kind of everything. Mm-hmm. Um, or at mm-hmm. least we, we weren't before COVID. Like mm-hmm. I, I never walked into a grocery store and, and didn't get everything I was looking for, for the most yeah. part. Um, um, that might be, you know, that's that's different maybe with uh with with other products but with food I feel like there was always such a like everything was always in stock um mm-hmm. so yeah I mean I I really hope that like um people I mean for me personally I like I think I appreciate it more like covering shortages I appreciate like the process more than I used to just because mm-hmm. I know that at any point like we may not have access to, to something usually temporarily but I think it does make me a little more appreciative of, of what we do have and like all of the steps that that you know 
thousands if not hundreds of thousands of people like took to get that food on our shelves it's just mm-hmm. like it's so much more mega um and uh, then 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 you know we think about when we're just grocery shopping so yeah um not to get all existential but yeah it really does make me like grateful for for the food that we do have and and access to it here in canada um yeah, we're very lucky. So hopefully, though, that this tomato shortage does clear up and, and the weather does get better because, yeah, it affects a lot of people's livelihoods as well. Like it's it's not just like the, the it's not just us. It's like their livelihoods. And, and what can they do about poor weather? Absolutely nothing. Like it's yeah. we just have to cl- hope that it that it clears up and they're able to start, you know, growing things normally again. I, I do wonder, too, from the perspective of the grocery chains, uh like what they do for their own image um, when a person mm. walks into a grocery store and is not able to get everything on their list. Yeah. And and as I said, maybe people are more used to it now, you know, three years into having shortages here and there and supply chain disruptions. Um, but, you know, I wonder if you walk in, you're not able to get, you know, your tomatoes and you think like, oh, I, why can't this grocery store keep tomatoes in stock? I'm going to go to the next place. And Maybe for this particular example, if it's, you know, a UK wide thing and you can't go anywhere and get tomatoes or there's very few places, uh, maybe you start to catch on as a consumer. But I wonder with maybe some smaller scale supply chain issues or shortages, um, like what that does to the, the brand reputation for these grocery chains and whether they're losing shoppers that way to competitors or whether it's really leveled the playing field in terms of, you know, if if there's a shortage for this store, there's a shortage across the board. And so it's, you know, it's not really changing consumer perspectives that much. Just think that's, that's another kind of level of this, um, another business, I guess, that's being affected. That is an excellent point because I I feel like a lot of anger could potentially be, you know, directed at, you know, grocery stores or employees that don't deserve it at all. And I wonder, Mm -hmm. like, if they if um, employees of grocery stores like gave the reasons if if consumers would be a little more sympathetic and and understand like this this is not their fault and and hopefully consumers know going in that this is not the fault of anyone that works at the grocery stores like i hope i would just hope that people would know that but yeah i i think like just knowing and understanding the reason and, and just saying like you're you're free to check other grocery stores but this is like a bit of a rampant problem for all of us like mm-hmm. yeah if uh if if that would make a difference um because that's such a good point like i um I, and i never think to ask if i can't find something like well why why don't you have it <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> But funny enough, I'm, I'm glad you brought this up because it's a great segue into sort of our next story, which is, um, you know, more broadly how companies can protect against uh, cyber attacks. But I'll start off by just exemplifying a company that, that went through one recently, which was Dole. Um, so Dole is a major American producer and distributor of fresh fruits and vegetables. I'm sure we've all seen Dole fruits, um, you know, at the grocery store. And it recently confirmed that it experienced a food cyber attack that disrupted its operations. And the attack, which was identified as ransomware, forced the food giant to temporarily shut down production plants in North America and halt food shipments to grocery stores. 
Uh, now, in a press release, Dole said, upon learning of this incident, Dole moved quickly to contain the threat and engaged leading third-party cybersecurity experts who have work, who have been working in partnership with Dole's internal teams to remediate uh, the issue and secure systems. The company has notified law enforcement in the incident um, and are cooperating with their investigation. So although Dole mentioned that they contained the threat, grocery stores did actually witness the side effects of the cyber attack. So two grocery stores in Texas in New Mexico told CNN that they couldn't stock dual salad kits on their shelves for days. Um, and I reached out to Dole for further comment, but I, d I have not heard back yet, and I do not predict that I will. Um, but it, it is interesting how quickly these things uh, can actually affect, um, you know, grocery stores. Um, and in, in the CNN um, article, they talked about uh, the, the people that actually worked at these grocery stores and, and you know, how it was affecting their businesses um, and whatnot. So feel free to check that out as well. But more broadly, you know, if a multi-billion dollar company like Dole can fall victim to a cybersecurity incident, are any companies actually immune from these cyber attacks? So I'll just talk about a little bit why food and beverage companies are, are targets um, for these type of attacks. So they've sort of become a preferred target of ransomware attackers. Um, and if you don't know what ransomware attacks are, it's basically hackers um, uh, refusing to uh, unhack, <laughs> just me, me in my layman terms here, uh, just, just reverse the attack um, if they don't provide ransom. So this could be anywhere from... I like it's usually in the millions of dollars. Um, and and another note about ransomware attacks too. Um, just because if a company does choose to pay, doesn't mean that the attackers will actually stop either. So um, it's it's a good idea to really think hard if you're a major company that was hit with a cyber attack, whether you actually want to pay them because uh, it may not actually stop the attack in the end. Um, but back to why food and beverage companies are are targeted. So. Um, from chain restaurants and large producers to local farms and small businesses, virtually no company really is immune from network vulnerabilities that can be used to steal data, rendering networks unusable. And these attacks often lead to disruption of operations like it did with Dole and supply chain bottlenecks. And whether the attack party chooses to pay the ransom or not, targeted businesses suffer major losses trying to deal with the aftermath. And arguably the highest profile food cyber attack was a ransomware attack on meat producer JBS USA in 2021 that paralyzed the company's operations and they ended up paying a ransom of $11 million. In addition to the JBS attack, Ferrera Candy, which is the largest candy corn manufacturer in the US, was also hit with a ransomware attack in 2021 before its critical Halloween season. And in March 2022, HP Hood Dairy, the Massachusetts-based producer of lactate milk products, responded to a ransomware attack by taking its plants offline, and it also disrupted supplies. So cyber criminals often assume that larger companies have the resources to pay ransom without a second thought, and smaller businesses often lack the, ne the necessary updates that are needed to fend them off. So for example, an Iowa-based farm services company called the New Cooperative Inc. was forced to take its systems offline to contain a security threat. Uh, threat. 
And in 2021, private industry notification from the Federal Bureau of Investigation, or the FBI, the agency stated that the infrastructure in the food and beverage industry has become a safer bet for cyber criminals, in part because the sector has adopted more smart technologies that open doors into their networks. And since the world's food supply chain relies on manufacturing facilities to keep their networks um, and equipment safe, here's a couple things that companies can do to mitigate the risks of cybersecurity incident. So I was mentioning virtually no company is safe from being targeted targeted by ransomware, regardless of the size or location. So food and beverage companies must take steps to manage risks effectively. Um, And the FBI lists a number of precautions that businesses can take, including backing up data and protecting copies offline, protecting critical data by making it inaccessible to modification or deletion, installing software updates, prioritizing the creation and changing of passwords for all accounts and disabling all unused remote access points and monitor used access. So these are just a couple of the things um, that food companies can do. Now, I actually also reached out to a company that specializes in food and beverage cybersecurity, um, and I asked them a couple of questions. The company is called Azen, or Anzen Sage, um, and I reached out to the company just asking a couple of questions. Um, and the first one was, how important is cybersecurity in the food and beverage industry? Um, and these answers were provided by uh, the CEO and founder of Anzen Sage, Kristen DeMorenville. So she said, everyone prefers that healthy food is grown, manufactured, and distributed safely, and cybersecurity is critical to providing that confidence to consumers and stakeholders. The increased use of technology within the food industry has created additional attack surfaces, just like I I mentioned. And still, and more importantly, the risks associated with people and process hasn't adapted fast enough to mitigate the risks effectively. My second question to her was, since a major corporation like Dole was recently attacked, are any companies immune from attack? And she said the most common cyber attack happens from a compromised third-party company into the parent company. And these integrated systems often are overlooked, do not have proper security controls, or aren't even thought about in terms of risk management, making them a prime target for bad actors or hackers. Many large food companies have subsidiaries under their umbrella. It's not a matter of when a cyber attack will happen. Uh, Sorry. It's a matter of when a cyber attack will occur, not if anymore. And my last question was, what can companies do to prevent attacks and how should they respond if they happen? And she said, a few quick suggestions to help prevent cyber attacks and be proactive. Hire a good security team that understands the specific security risks in the food industry. Educate your people on security risks within their particular roles and create not only a good food security culture, but incorporate cybersecurity awareness within that program. If you believe you are being attacked, proper training of your employees will make the difference in the severity of the attack on your organization, just as in a fire, stop, drop and roll in a cyber attack stop report and mitigate so it was really excellent to hear you know her thoughts on this since her company specializes in doing this um and uh yeah i I really appreciated it a couple other things that um you know companies can do if um if if a cyber attack does happen the first action should be to call in either internal or external it experts to limit the damage as much as possible so this can include steps like taking individual computers offline until the problem is dealt with identifying and isolating the point of entry and resorting to backup data when possible 
So we've we've talked about, um, you know, when the JBS uh, attack did happen, I believe we talked about that. Um, and even though these attacks seem like they don't happen very often, when they do, they're, they're, they're very high profile and the ransom is often, you know, in the millions. Um, and yeah, truly no company is, uh, is, is immune from these type of attacks. Um, but yeah, I, I thought it was really interesting that, you know, the, the food industry in particular is is a target because of how much they've they've transitioned to sort of digital supply chains rather than, you know, writing everything down. And, and a quick comparison that I'll make is that um, there's there's a there's a big thing in like the hacking world called SIM swapping, um, which, uh, you know, we all have SIM cards in our phone and they're usually physical SIM cards. And often what hackers will do is um, um, they'll they'll call um, like they'll call um, service providers and and claim to be a different person in order to sort of swap their sim with with the person whose data they're trying to access and usually the weakest point of of um, you know that whole tra- tra- train of like events is uh, is the person that they speak to um, that's usually like the weakest link and and once you sim swap you can access you know somebody else's uh, information and what the latest Apple iPhone actually did was make an e sim so you don't need to have a physical one anymore but i'm sure hackers you know are going to figure out ways to sim swap with with uh with with these as well um anyway it just goes to show you that that hackers really uh, adapt to whatever new technologies are um introduced to to try and stop them um but they usually don't so i think it's good to for food companies to always have a have a plan of attack ready um if if cyber attacks do happen but yeah what do you guys make of uh you know dole being the latest um I guess, uh, victim in, in a ransomware attack. I mean, like, yeah, even if they didn't have to, um, pay out the cyber criminal, right. In the, in that, like how you mentioned a previous food company did, even if Dole didn't do that, they still must have suffered huge losses that they can't recover from like shutting mm-hmm. down their operations in North America, right? Right, so, right. Yeah, there's a lot of consequences to being cyber attacked. Like, I mean, yeah, I honestly think it could happen to any food company. And, oh, and really, yeah, yeah. And, and with Dole and, and like JBS, for example, they, they're dealing with foods that need to be refrigerated for the most part. So you mm. can imagine how much food could go to waste um, as a result of these attacks. Um, and, and yeah, it, it trickles all throughout the supply chain um, all the way back to the consumer when we're not seeing Dole salad kits anymore. I actually love those. Um, so uh, it kind of was like, oh, shoot, like this is this is interesting. And it's another one of those things where it's like consumers would never really understand or, or think, oh, yeah, I'm not seeing the Dole salad kits because Dole was recently atta- had a ransomware attack. Like we don't we don't yeah. make those connections. You know what I mean, um, and and in this case, I also wonder what um, grocery store owners were 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 telling um, were telling people when when mm. they didn't see Dole products on the shelves, like um, any and if they would even like understand or like appreciate like the the, the like why it, why that happened, like it's it's very complex and, and complicated. Like I I didn't know much about like cybersecurity before like writing about these major incidents so i can't imagine that like the average consumer would would kind of like put the pieces together yeah but i thought that was pretty neat how you found 
and you interviewed that expert and they like specialize in like food and beverage industry, cybersecurity. Mm. I didn't even know that was a thing to like yeah. specialize in. I, I guess that's how big of a, of an issue where like, you know, the, of, of they, they need, to, they need preventative measures, right. And they need experts who, if this does happen, know exactly what to do and step in. And I guess every industry is a little bit different, right. Cause all supply chains are different and have different needs. So I think it's awesome that, that, um, there are cybersecurity firms specialize in um, food and beverage industry protection because it's it's clearly needed and and I think as they're becoming bigger targets um, you know the the need and like the necessity for for people that know the industry very well and know how to protect it is yeah is becoming equally important yeah Sydney I think you made a good point as well about the difference between you know larger food companies and and smaller food companies and how you know the larger ones are more likely to have uh, preventative measures in place or at least mm-hmm. mitigation measures you know when not if but when as you said mm-hmm. a cyber attack happens um, and are likely in a better position to be able to I suppose pay out a ransom if if that's required. Mm -hmm. Um, But I wonder for these smaller producers that have been hit, uh, you know, that feels very opportunistic on the part of of hackers. And I'm sure they have to try and come up with, you know, how much ransom do we ask for considering this is a smaller producer? Mm -hmm. Um, I wonder how we get some of these cybersecurity tools in the hands of smaller producers and you know make sure that they they um, stay updated and that sort of thing i'm sure that's like a uh, a huge challenge to kind of work that into their budget and, and certainly a necessary challenge but particularly in the food space where margins can be pretty you know razor thin and, and profits are not generally giant um especially if you're a smaller producer i you know i wonder uh how you get that to factor into the budget and and make sure they're up up to date Mm because yeah something like that is not a one and done we all know with our you know even just our personal computers we're always updating you know virus software and things like that um so certainly on an enterprise level it's the same thing Mm -hmm. and and i i wonder like what yeah, like why would hackers attack small companies? Is it for the data? Is it for is it for money? Even mm. if they can't offer much, like I, I wonder why. Um, and I think um, Kristen made a really good distinction, um, or, or she made a good point about like um, how larger companies get attacked, which is through um, you know s- smaller uh, like. Uh, sister or brother companies or whatever right. third-party companies um, that that sneak their way into the parent company. I thought that was really really interesting because um, mm-hmm. because it seems like it seems crazy how how anyone any hacker can just like get into Dole's system. Like this is a massive corporation. Same thing with JBS and a lot of the companies that are targeted. So they sort of make their way into the smaller companies. Um, and yeah, that's that's quite interesting. I just don't. Yeah, I I don't really see why they would they would focus on small companies and and e- even even though they may not, it's still like you said, really important for them to be able to uh, you know prevent attacks. And it might need to be something that like it, people need to be trained on who are hired. Like uh, like it, it, yeah, it might be becoming like just a a, a bigger thing um, within companies, like within internal IT. Um, rather than external like it'll be interesting to see like what food companies start doing if, if they if they're just going um, outside or if they're hiring internally for this kind of stuff um, but yeah yeah I uh, 
it's it's beyond my comprehension really how hackers do it i'll never understand or or well, i get why but um <laughs> It's it's so it's so unethical. I'd be really interested to speak to a hacker and and sort of understand whether they felt any uh, any remorse about that kind of stuff. But mm. probably not. Yeah. yeah, I would think. Yeah, probably <laughs> not. And and I bet this happens, you know, much more than we hear about. Mm -hmm. um, because in the case of like something like Dole, they're a publicly traded company, and so they have to release a statement about that you know because they've got investors yeah. mm -hmm. um but i'm sure there's you know tons of companies that are are not publicly traded they're privately owned and uh i i would think you would for the most part want to keep this on the down low particularly if they're able to kind of stop a hack you mm -hmm. know in its tracks at the beginning um and i'm sure there's plenty of attempts Ha you know, happening all of the time, basically, mm -hmm. to, to hack these food and beverage companies. Um, obviously, not all of them get through, thankfully. But, uh, but yeah, this is this is likely a larger problem than any of us um, would really have been aware of as as consumers in general. Mm -hmm. And it's yeah. kind of like sad to me that people like kind of dedicate their time to to hack um, not just food companies, individuals, other mm -hmm. companies. Um, yeah or like even there's there's a massive um sort of industry there's a massive issue in the music industry with like having people's like music leaked as well like mm. there's there's so many layers to this um and mm -hmm. people like dedicate their time to sort of like you know ruin ruin people's lives and it's it's really sad just for the pursuit of money or fame or whatever it is um but yeah, food, food isn't really something I would have thought would be such a major uh, target of attacks like this, but but it really is. Um, but yeah, yeah. All, all the best to Dole. I hope they uh, they, they recover quickly and they um, have preventative measures in the future. Um, but on that note, I hope everyone enjoyed the 100th episode of the X Talks Food Podcast. Um, we'll see you in about two years when we reach the 200th food podcast. <laughs> um, but if you like today's show, uh, don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Thanks, everyone, and see you next week. Bye. 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 Thanks for listening to the X Talks Food Industry Podcast. If you enjoyed our discussions today, please share the episode with your friends and colleagues and be sure to subscribe in order to be notified when a new episode is released. To join in on the discussion, you can find Xtalks on social media, email podcast at xtalks.com or comment on the articles directly. Links are in the show description. Take a moment to join our community at xtalks.com to get access to everything we have to offer, including webinars, job listings, virtual meetings, articles, and more. The views and opinions expressed in the podcast are those of the speakers sharing them. They should not be taken as professional advice and do not necessarily reflect the policy or position Honeycomb Worldwide. For further information, email us at podcast at xtalks.com. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next week.